Welcome to episode 12 of the MLS Net Boys show. My name is Jacob, and today I'm a lonely boy because Chase decided it was in his plans to go to St. Louis to watch the Timbers play. But we'll talk about that more later. So today we're just going to do our normal schedule of game reviews and talk about fixtures in the league. And then I'm also going to cover some more MLS iceberg moments. But yeah, a little bit different. Just me today on the podcast. And then next week it's just going to be Chase on the podcast. So he might be going solo or getting producer Isaac in on the mix. So we'll see how that goes. But let's get into our week of MLS action. We started with Nashville hosting Atlanta in that South Regional Derby, I guess is what they're calling it. It feels pretty legitimate to me. Um, and it was kind of a feisty game, but it was a good game for Nashville. Fafa Pico scores Teal Bunbury and Jacob Schaufelberg. It ended up being Nashville 3, Atlanta 1. Tiago Almada scored a bit of a controversial penalty kick, but this was a huge win for Nashville, asserting themselves and taking the game to a solid Atlanta squad this year, who a lot of people have been very, very high on. But Atlanta's showing they're capable of these big wins. Next up, we've got a bit of an upset here. We've got Columbus Crew hosting Inter-Miami, and Inter-Miami winning 2-1 on the road at Columbus. And this is a result we were throwing in the group chat because our, our football manager, Sim, we got one guy who's a big Columbus crew um, manager, and that's Chase. Very convenient he flees the state while we're recording when his, his adopted FM team loses in a theoretically easy on paper game. Inter-Miami had lost like four games in a row. <clears throat> But they come to Columbus and get a result. 2-1. to one. Leo Campagna scores two goals on the road. Cucho Hernandez for Columbus. But interesting note about this. Yosef Martinez got benched. And he has been benched as well. In the Open Cup as well. That game they beat Miami FC. And I don't know. I heard from some people alluding to on Twitter that maybe there's some more behind the scenes going on. Yosef does have a history of doing that sort of thing and getting in these weird feuds with his coach, but I won't speculate too much on that until more comes out. But a huge result for Miami. Uh, Neville was a bit on the hot seat, it looked like. There was a lot of people dissatisfied with his performances in these last few games, but we move on. However, one thing we're disappointed about again is... The lack of Keegan Hughes in this game. Keegan Hughes not making an appearance again. And I know Chase is going to be upset about that. But we're going to move on to DC United beating Charlotte 3-0 in DC at Audi Field. This is another one that hits close to home because also in our FM save, we've got a big Charlotte boy in our group. Our buddy Ryan... At the helm with Charlotte, he's got an impressive like 17-point gap at the top of the league with Charlotte, and he's just running away with it. So we always text about Charlotte games as well. But what a game for DC. Taxi Fountas scores. Benteke scores a crazy bicycle kick goal. And then Lewis O'Brien on loan from Nottingham Forest has a great, 
almost field the f- one end of the pitch to the other run and gets a great assist for Jacob Green's first MLS goal. So huge win for DC. I believe it's four wins in a row, including the U.S. Open Cup. And Rooney's got the boys on the rise, and it's great to see after a terrible season last year especially. Next up on the agenda, New England Revolution hosting FC Cincinnati. And this was a, this was a game of the top of the table in the East and almost in the whole league. New England and Cincinnati are both fighting for that top spot in the East. One and two. And this game ends up as a 1-1 draw. So both teams end on 21 points. New England ahead on goal difference, but there's just not much to separate two of these teams in the season and in this game. Jefferson Mascara scores for Cincinnati on loan from Wolves. Just another another great game from him and showing what he's capable of. And then Emmanuel Boateng gets another goal, I think in back-to-back weeks, fresh off of his award off of our show with just, we were talking about how this guy just has these chaotic runs in the box and gets, he's really scrappy and he just makes stuff happen with these late runs in the box. And he gets another goal from the wing and just showing he was you know a bit quiet his last couple teams not really making an impact but Bruce Arena has got a lot out of this guy his old LA Galaxy player and next up speaking of LA Galaxy we've got them traveling to Orlando losing 2-0 to Orlando City Orlando City gets a big three points here Kara scores and Facundo Torres scores his first goal in a long time but First, let's talk about the Galaxy. They got that big win over Austin last weekend, and a lot of people were saying if they were back, one of their supporters groups decides they're going to stop their boycott and go back to the games, and then there was a lot of controversy. This supporters group was getting their tax returns posted on the internet because people thought they were caving too quickly. It was just a big mess. And LA Galaxy doesn't follow up their their win last week, and the momentum kind of crashes and falls, and they're back in the same spot. However, Orlando City gets a much-needed win at home. They're in eighth place right now, and Orlando's just been kind of so-so so far. They haven't really impressed too much. They had the CCL to deal with, but now kind of just floating around the middle of the table in the East, and they're in the playoff spot for now. But I think a lot of people will be expecting more. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come for them. Another game we have back out East, Toronto FC 1, New York City FC 0. This one was in Toronto, and CJ Sapong Sapong gets traded like midweek from Nashville. Maybe it was last week. And this is his first start in the league for Toronto. And he gets the game-winning goal. It was a nice cross from Richie Larea in the box. CJ Spong is open from the back post. But Toronto FC is my FM squad that I was appointed. And so of these guys, Toronto, Columbus, Charlotte, I was the only one to come out with three points. So it was nice to see. Nice to see my Toronto boys doing well. And it's a much-needed win for Toronto as well. These guys on paper have such a good squad. They've got they brought in Matt Hedges, Sean Johnson. They already had Insigne and Bernadeschi. 
And it just, things haven't been clicking for them, but they get a big three points over a New York City squad who's been very, very solid. And maybe they can build some momentum off of this. But next up, got a big game here against Austin versus San Jose, which normally I wouldn't consider a big game. But one of the more exciting games of this weekend, it was a 2-2 draw. The points are shared in Austin. And how it happened was Jackson Ewell gets on the board with a nice strike inside the box for San Jose. Austin responds about 20 minutes later. Emmanuel Ragoni gets his first goal for Austin after almost a year and a half. First goal contribution. And love to see it if you're an Austin fan. But then Ibovisi and Driussi trade goals in the second half. And... Austin still not able to beat a solid Quakes team at home, but I want to talk about how Ebobasi and Christian Ramirez are just linking up so well again. Ramirez with that a great cross for Ebobasi for what was the go-ahead goal, but these two guys have just looked almost best 11 caliber, definitely all-star caliber, and just the Luchi Gonzalez, the Earthquakes, really clicking right now. And for them, I think a ro- a point on the road at Austin, a very tough place to play, that's a good thing. That's maybe disappointing with the way Austin's been playing to not get three points. But I think San Jose, these are the type of points you need to get. No game is easy in MLS, and these are big points to pick up. But we're going to go back out east to Chicago, where Chicago drew again to New York Red Bulls. And it was the same old, same old for Chicago. Kai Kamara with another goal, and he puts Chicago ahead. And then in the 89th minute, New York Red Bulls has a corner kick, and Corey Burke scores his first goal for the Red Bulls. But all over in the media, all over on Twitter, people have been pointing out that Chicago has had this sort of thing happen multiple times. They're winning in a game, and then they give up a late goal. It happened at home against Cincinnati. They were up two goals, and then Cincinnati brought it to a tie late, so they dropped two points there. The same thing happened last week. They just tied the game in the 90th minute, and then in the 99th minute, they give up a goal to lose on the road at Atlanta, so that was a point dropped. They blew a two-goal lead versus Philadelphia Union, And then there was one other team they blew another lead to. So Chicago, they're in 10th place right now, but they're competing with a lot of these good teams. But their record isn't really showing it because they don't have that discipline and focus at the end of the game. It's happened so many times where it's become a recurring theme. So very disappointing for Chicago, a team that not a lot of people expect a lot from, but they're, they're going out and they're shooting themselves in the foot. Every week, it feels like. So it's very disappointing if you're a Chicago Fire fan. However, not as disappointing as Sporting Kansas City, who lost 2-0 at home to Montreal. Another team just not... Another two teams just not doing great. Montreal, this win put them in 13th place. SKC, bottom of the whole league, 29th place. They've got three points on the year. Zero wins, three goals scored. They've had three red cards. And there was an interesting post-game clip from Johnny Russell where he just 
was getting asked about reporters about the season and how did they turn it around. And he just didn't know what to say. He had no idea. This team is just a disaster right now. They, they're once again creating lots of shots and lots of opportunities, but just nothing offensively clicking whatsoever. And if they keep up this pace, they're going to be like, I believe they'll be at the worst point total in league history if they keep it up per game, what their point percentage is. And it's just, it's just terrible. Um, if there was ever a game to win for Kansas City, it would have been this one. Montreal had six points before this game on the on the year. Montreal was looking terrible too. They were getting blown out by other teams. But so at home, if you're an SKC fan, you got to be thinking this is the game where we can get something, maybe vault ourselves back because nine teams make the playoffs now. If you pull together a strong run of maybe three, four games, you'd be right back in the conversation. Yet, 10 games in, not a single win for Kansas City, and it's not looking good. Peter Vermees, that five-year contract he signed at the end of last year, looking more and more puzzling as it goes on. So, Polito's coming back, maybe that can help them, but I know Willie Agata just as well has been out. So, lose one striker, you're getting one back coming into form. Next up, we got to talk about the Portland Timbers winning at St. Louis. Portland was actually the only team in the West to pick up three points this weekend. Every other team lost or drew their match. So Portland making up some ground after that terrible start to the year. And yeah, Chase was at this game. That guy spent like $1,000 or whatever on tickets because the demand is so high to watch St. Louis play is the buzz and everything around that team is so high. And it was funny. So at the beginning of the year when he talked about going, none of us thought St. Louis would do good, obviously. And we all had them as like a bottom feeder team. So we were all like, oh, yeah, it'll be cool to watch the Timbers, you know, get an easy win up there. You know, it's St. Louis. What are they going to do? But then as the season progressed and it's been the opposite, Portland's been awful to watch and not very hopeful, and St. Louis has been killing these teams and just destroying teams, 4-0 on the road against Salt Lake, 2-1 at Portland, and then beating Austin away for their first game. We were just, me and Chase, every week before we record, we're talking like, man, you just spent all this money, and you're going to go and fly halfway across the country and just watch your team get destroyed and spend on waste all this money. That happened to me. I drove 12 hours to Salt Lake to watch the Timbers win a must-win game in the playoff uh, to get, make it to the playoffs last season. My team got destroyed. I wasted a lot of money, and the drive sucked. So there wasn't a lot to be <laughs> grateful about for that trip. It was a good experience still, seeing what it's like at a different team in a different state and kind of getting the culture a little bit. But Portland did it in typical Portland fashion. They lose the games that they should win, and then these random games where they're completely seems like they're outmatched, and it's like a very small percentage of winning. Coach Geo does whatever he's doing in the locker room before these big games. I hope he's doing every week because I don't understand. Portland, I would say, dominated this game. We kind of had some iffy calls go our way, especially for the penalty kick, but... 
I think Portland deserved a big three points here. Yimmy Chara came in and scored the go-ahead goal to put us back in the lead after Celio Pompeo scored to tie the game. And then, yeah, three minutes later, Chara scores after coming back after missing like eight weeks from injury. And it's a huge three points for Portland considering they just played Seattle, Cincinnati, and St. Louis, and they got six out of nine points. I think that's pretty, pretty solid. Now if Portland can ride that momentum and actually pull another string of games here, they've got a very favorable May schedule. They play Vancouver at home. They play Austin at home. Hopefully this will be the point that kind of makes Portland rise up in the standings. However, for St. Louis, it's been a rough April for them. They started out of the gates flying. However, in April, they lose 3-0 at Seattle. They lose 1-0 at home to Minnesota. They destroyed Cincinnati in that game. Can't take that away from them. But then they lose again at home to Portland. So maybe a little fall from grace from them. And then maybe their teams have been figuring out a little bit how to play St. Louis because, as we've mentioned before, it's a very chaotic style. And you've got to be very disciplined and know how you're going to play St. Louis because they know exactly what they're going to do. And it must be said too, Zhao Klaus missing as their starting striker definitely had an impact. Giacchini played up top instead of him and they shifted around. And Giacchini is a great player, but he doesn't bring that look that they're looking for. Having a big striker who can hold up the ball and really be the focal point. So for their sake, hopefully he's back soon because they're a different team without him. But we're going to stay out west for Rail Salt Lake hosting Seattle Sounders. This was a pretty ugly game, honestly. There was not a lot to go on. It was a nil-nil draw, points shared. Um, but there was a lot of fouls, a lot of yellow cards. People weren't happy with the con with the with the refereeing. Pablo Ruiz gets a second yellow to get a red card in the 90th minute, but not a lot to talk about here. Fry had some good saves that preserved the the point for his team and the shutout on the road. So for Seattle. That point actually puts them the top of the West over St. Louis since they lost. So point on the road, like I said, great thing in MLS. But I think Salt Lake will actually be a little disappointed they didn't get three points out of this. But moving on from that exciting 0-0 draw, we've got another 0-0 draw. Vancouver versus Colorado. This is one of the games me and Chase predicted and Chase was big on a Colorado win. I was big on a Vancouver win. Neither of us were right. It was a nil-nil draw. Like I said, these games don't really like to focus on them that much. There wasn't really that much exciting to happen, except for Vancouver's goalkeeper, Takauka, saved a penalty in about the 78th minute. So that was maybe maybe disappointing for the Rapids, not capitalizing on that opportunity. Next, we've got another nil-nil draw. Minnesota hosting FC Dallas. And this one I caught the end of since it was the lone Sunday game. And Minnesota piled on a lot of pressure, but FC Dallas didn't break. But Minnesota just wasn't able to find any finishing form. Definitely a disappointing game where they don't get three points at home. Again, they're winless at home, actually, this season, which is... A very surprising stat because a lot of people were saying, and I agree, Minnesota's had a solid start to the year, learning to have life in this league without Reynoso, but 
yeah, a win here would have put them tied for fourth place, so that would have been huge. But they are not able to get it, so it ends up a nil-nil draw. So rounding out, me and Chase had three games which we were predicting. It was Portland, St. Louis, and Chase predicted a 3-1 St. Louis win, which was wrong. I predicted a 2-1 Portland win, which was dead on the money. So I got three points for that. And we were wrong with all of our other picks. RSL Seattle, I predicted RSL winning. He predicted Seattle winning. And then with the Vancouver game, the only game one of us got right was me getting St. Louis-Portland right, which I predicted a 2-1 Portland win. So I vault back up in the point total 19-14 to with the five-point advantage over Chase. So now... Since it's U.S. Open Cup season and pretty much every team has played now except for a few, I wanted to do a little bit of an MLS iceberg kind of history lesson with one of the more classic kind of random moments that the U.S. Open Cup offered. So if you guys recall, a few weeks ago me and Chase did a little thing where we talked about what grinds our gears and I talked about the U.S. Open Cup. So the U.S. Open Cup, if you don't know, it's like the FA Cup in England or the DFB Pokal, all those kind of domestic cup competition that these leagues have where you play these lower division teams and then you play teams in your own league and then you get a trophy for it at the end of the year. So the U.S. Open Cup is actually like pretty old uh, in comparison to most U.S. soccer things. So it's about over 100 years old. Which, to put in comparison, MLS as a league is not even not even 30 years old. So, it's been around a long time. However, U.S. soccer runs this competition a little bit different. They don't do a straight draw to figure out who you're playing. They do these regional draws up until maybe the round of 16, I believe, or maybe it's the quarterfinals. So... Like I said, it's regional draws, which if you're not up to your U.S. geography, the West Coast teams kind of are San Jose Earthquakes, LA Galaxy, LAFC, and then there's a lot of USL and NASL teams, but those are the MLS ones. And then on the wet Pacific Northwest, we've got Seattle and Portland. Well, every year this happens, Portland and Seattle for a stretch there, would end up playing each other. And it would always be in Seattle. It would be year after year after year. Seattle and Portland would play in one of the earlier rounds. And it was kind of cool at first because it's a huge rivalry, obviously. But then after a while, it just got too predictable. And it kind of, in my opinion, watered down the rivalry a little bit. Instead of us advancing both pretty far... And maybe meeting each other in a semifinal or even a final, we would play each other with like four rounds to go. And it was kind of silly. So in 2015, the Seattle Sounders hosted Portland in Starfire Sports Complex, which is their like secondary cup stadium they use. Kind of like how Man City sometimes plays at that, or Real Madrid would play at that kind of secondary stadium in the Champions League during COVID. That was like their version of this. So... It's called Starfire Sports Complex. Just hosts a few thousand people. And this would be a packed house. It's a bit of a different atmosphere for these games at Starfire. 
but it's a fun one. It's it's small, it's compact. It kind of reminds me of how Fulham is when you watch it in the Premier League, how they have like a fifth of the amount of fans that like some of these bigger stadiums like United have, but the fans are really loud and you can kind of hear it just enclosed in this small area. So it's a fun place to watch a game if you haven't. So the Sounders host the Timbers. So first thing off the bat, Seattle has these black uniforms that they come out with and Portland has dark green because we're the Timbers. So normally when Seattle and Portland play, they're they're both green teams, but Seattle's green is a very neon yellowish green whereas Portland is more of like a timber like a foresty green. So they can wear these two shades of greens and be fine because they're both one's light and one's very dark. However, Seattle wears their black jersey and they wear this in the first half and at halftime the ref really alerts them that they have to switch jerseys because it's a color chain, color clash. So it's the only game I've ever seen where one team wore a different jersey in the first half of a game as they did in the second half. So they ended the game wearing white in the second half. But that's not even the real story of this game. What happened was this game is nicknamed the Red Card Wedding. So if you're a Sounders fan, you already are probably cringing at about what I'm about to say because you know what I'm talking about. But the Seattle Sounders were favored in this game. They just won the Supporters Shield last year. They've won four Open Cups, I believe, at this point. So Portland hadn't won their first MLS Cup yet, had really only made the playoffs one time. So this was heavily favored for the Sounders. And previous years before, the Sanders would always knock out the Timbers in this competition in Seattle. So it's a tight game. And then second half, they switch the jerseys. Three minutes into the second half, Diego Valeri scores to give the Timbers a 1-0 lead. So Portland has the advantage, okay? Then it all starts to go to chaos. Brad Evans gets a second yellow card after getting the first half card, first yellow card earlier in the half. He gets a second yellow card, so Seattle goes down to 10 men. Okay, it's still not that bad of a deficit. Lots lots of teams go down one man, but they can pull something out of the bag. Seattle's at home. They've got Clint Dempsey at this point, Obafemi Martins. They've got a lot of good players on the field, and Seattle does score, actually, to tie the game. In like the 82nd minute, Obafemi Martins scores, so it's 1-1. However, minutes after Obafemi Martin scores, he pulls up with an injury and he has to be taken off the field. But Seattle had actually used all their subs, so they had to play down another player. So they had nine players on the field at this point. So now it's looking a lot more bleak for Seattle. Portland has two more players than them. They have the ability to sub and it's looking a little rough for Seattle, but they hold off till extra time, till regular time finishes, and then the match goes to extra time. When we start extra time, Portland begins to, they begin to pile on the pressure. You know, they've got a two-man advantage. This is when Caleb Porter was our coach, who played a very, he was very much a fan of Pep Guardiola's game plan, so he liked a lot of the ball, and it was a very intense team to play back then. And so Portland's piling on pressure and they know they can break through. Seattle's too tired and 
Portland gets a goal in the 100th minute, and they're up 2-1. After this is where it really goes to chaos. Two minutes after Portland scores to go up, Seattle's player Michael Azira gets a red card for elbowing Portland's player Gaston Fernandez. So Michael Azira gets a red card. So now Seattle has eight players. I've never even seen a game with eight players on the field. And so it was just it was just weird because some of the Portland players didn't know what to do. They were confused. A lot of people said it was a soft call, including Seattle Sounders striker Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey walks up to the ref, takes his yellow card, starts arguing with the referee, and then pulls the referee's little notebook out of his back pocket and rips it up and walks away. So then the ref obviously realizes you can't do that. He walks over and gives Dempsey a red card. So now Seattle has seven players on the field. Like I said, Portland is just confused at this point. A lot of them were didn't know if the game would even continue because if you get a certain amount of players sent off, the game just forfeits. So Portland has four more players on the field than Seattle. They're up 2-1 in Seattle in extra time in this cup competition. Portland scores a second goal or a third goal to go up two goals on them, 3-1, and then it ends 3-1. Seattle's coach is pissed. At the end of the game, he, he kind of just left the field. He went and walked towards like the corner kick while the game was still happening, and somebody asked him about it at the end of the game, and he said he didn't want to choke the referee, which then his coach, their coach got suspended for that, actually. So... Seattle gets four players off the field. Three of them were red cards. The coach gets suspended afterwards for saying he was going to choke the referee. And then Dempsey actually got like a 10-match ban from this competition for ref for ripping up the referee's note card. So just one of those things where it's pretty crazy. Anything can happen in the U.S. Open Cup. And I bring up that story now because the U.S. Co- Open Cup is going on right now. So definitely watch these games especially these more kind of marquee games. It's fun to watch the games with like Louisville City or the random other USL teams, but these kind of rivalry matchups that do happen with the regionalized seeding can be very entertaining. So that is my MLS iceberg moment, the red card wedding of Seattle. But to finish off this podcast, it's a bit of a shorter one. I don't have Chase with me to kind of harangue back and forth just useless information about the league so we're going to end it with some predictions i did check chase which games i was predicting so i'm going to say his predictions as well so we're going to talk about four games this week because lafc and philadelphia are finishing off the second leg of their champions league semi-final game so we'll start with that one lafc is hosting this one after that late 1-1 draw in Philadelphia, Chase predicted a 2-1 Philadelphia win at LAFC. So Philly would go through in that scenario. However, I'm going a 2-1 LAFC win. I think both these teams will put all their starters in this game and then rest them midweek or rest them on the weekend because this game's on a Wednesday and then they'll have had a game next week. But yeah, I'm going 2-1 LAFC. Chase is going 2-1 Philadelphia. Next up, we've got Inter-Miami hosting Atlanta United. This one's going to be in Miami. And Chase opted for a 2-1 Atlanta win. I went for a 2-2 draw. 
And this is an interesting one because this is potentially Joseph Martinez's first game against Atlanta. And this will be in Miami, so it won't be as exciting as when he returns to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But knowing the way Joseph is and how much of a big game player he is, I would love to see him score against Atlanta. I don't think he would celebrate because he means so much to that city, but I think this will be a really fun one to watch. I'm going for a 2-2 draw. And then next up, we've got another California matchup. We've got San Jose Earthquakes hosting LAFC. So Chase went 3-1 LAFC, So, but with a Jeremy Abobasi consolation goal, which I can definitely see happening. However, I opted for a 2-1 San Jose win. My reasoning behind that is LAFC has yet to lose this year, but they've played a crazy amount of games compared to everyone else, and this is the last this is the last opportunity they have to advance in the Champions League this year. So, there's no more game after this if they lose. I think they'll go all in on Wednesday night versus Philly and then rest some of those guys at the weekend at San Jose. They're already two points only off the top spot in the West with two games in hand. They have a little bit of a cushion to kind of maybe make some rest so none of their players get overworked. I'm going San Jose 2-1 because I think Luchi Gonzalez will take advantage of this, and that partnership of Abobasi and Espinosa, I think, will be too much against some tired legs. And then our last game is going to be Cincinnati hosting D.C. United. Both Chase and I going for Cincinnati wins at home. Chase 2-0. I went for 2-1. It's really exciting what Rooney's doing at D.C. and seeing Benteke come into form and seeing all these exciting players come in for D.C. However, Cincinnati, I just think they're too good of a team. This could be Brenner's last stretch with the club, and I think he'll be wanting to prove some people wrong and score some more goals before he heads off for the summer and give those Cincinnati fans something to be happy about. Because a lot of them were kind of kind of disappointed with the way he's conducted themselves with this transfer. And I just think Cincinnati, even against Portland, they, they didn't look like amazing of a team, but they just got the win anyway. And that's what these sorts of teams do. They just get these wins where they play a really competitive, good team, and they can sneak out a win where they don't even look like their best. So... Both of us going with a Cincinnati win here. But that's going to wrap up episode 12 of the MLS Netboy Show. As always, please send in an email, comment, or a question, or just to say hello, say where you're from, at MLSNetboys at gmail.com, and we'll take a look at that. Like I said, next week's going to look a little bit different. Chase is going to be on here, and I will be gone. So Chase will have the reins. Unlike this week, where it was the opposite. Chase was gone, and I'm here. So, But the week after that, we'll finally do a normal one where it's both of us back together. It'll be normal length, and we'll have a regular episode of the MLS Netboys show. But thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.